0: Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. New leaks continue to expose a cover-up by the OPCW, the world's top chemical weapons watchdog, over a critical event in Syria. Documents, emails, and testimony from OPCW officials have raised major doubts about the allegation that the Syrian government committed a chemical weapons attack in the city of Douma in April 2018. The leaked OPCW information has been released in pieces by WikiLeaks. The latest documents contain a number of significant revelations, including that about 20 OPCW officials voiced concerns to their superiors that their scientific findings and on-the-ground evidence was suppressed and excluded. This is, without a doubt, a major global scandal. The OPCW, under reported U.S. pressure, suppressing vital evidence about allegations of chemical weapons in Syria. But that very fact exposes another global scandal. With the exception of small outlets like the Grey Zone, the mass media has widely ignored or whitewashed this story. And this widespread censorship of the OPCW scandal has just led one journalist to resign. Up until recently, Tara Haddad was a reporter at Newsweek. But in early December, Tarek announced that he had quit his position after Newsweek refused to publish his story about the OPCW cover-up. In a lengthy piece explaining his decision, Tarek writes, quote, on one hand, I could continue to be employed by the company, stay in their chic London offices, and earn a steady salary. Only if I adhered to what could or could not be reported. And suppressed vital facts. Alternatively, I could leave the company and tell the truth. Well, Tarik Haddad, he joins me now. Tarik welcome to Pushback. Talk to us about what prompted your decision to resign and the events that led up to it.
1: Sure, uh, and thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, basically, um, like I detail in my piece, um, you know, it wasn't kind of going into this situation with any, any kind of, you know, in, intentions of, you know, making a big big controversy, um, just doing my, my job as a, as a news reporter. Um, the situation in Syria starts to pick up again. <clears throat> um, and then alleged white phosphorus use by Turkey. So, you know, I'm starting to look at things going on with the OPCW as their body that is, you know, supposed to be investigating uh, attacks such as those um and so it's just kind of snowballed out of there of um you know I kept finding more and more information that you know to me this was an undeniably big news story um and you know everything in my in my gut was you know there's something that needs to be printed about this um I raised it with my editors and then you know got knocked back more and more um and then with time it became clear that it wasn't Um, Because my evidence wasn't good enough, Um, it was purely on a, you know, this this story is not something that's, you know, in our interests to publish to our readers. So um, that was essentially it, really.
0: You write in your piece, quote, the U.S. government, in an ugly alliance with those who profit the most from war, has its tentacles in every part of the media. Imposters with ties to the U.S. State Department sit in newsrooms all over the world. Editors with no apparent connections to the members club have done nothing to resist. Together, they filter out what can or cannot be reported. Inconvenient stories are completely blocked. As a result, journalism is quickly dying. America is regressing because it lacks the truth. So talk to us about that, Tark, and how you experience that in the newsroom, that dynamic in the newsroom, especially when it comes to reliance on sources with ties to war profiteers and Western governments themselves. Sure.
1: Well, I guess um, there'll be sort of two different parts to that question. But um, I guess so one aspect is is the, the editors that have links to um, the, these organizations such as the Council on Foreign Relations. Um, and so for example in my time as working as a journalist I was never aware of any kind of connection between journalism and the council on foreign relations Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of was my first ever real experience of it and I you know say this in the piece because some people might think that I'm you know being naive and of course they have a massive influence on on journalism and it's been going for years Um, and that might be the case but You know, it was the first time I experienced it and it was not something that I thought was appropriate for a newsroom. You know, I've been in multiple newsrooms and, you know, someone who's been very big on kind of the history of journalism and the ethics of journalism. And to me, that just seemed like a complete flagrant violation of everything that journalism stands for, to have people that, you know, attend, um, you know, programs funded by the State Department and, you know they're making these these connections with people in the state department and then you know when i was presented with kind of the evidence that i experienced um it kind of confirmed my my um you know my feelings about that and then so the second part would be about yeah the reliance on um organizations like bellingcat which um other journalists have taken the time to show that you know um they're not who they purport to be. Um, and I think there's still a lot of work to be done around that, because I think <clears throat> my understanding from the public is that um, a lot of people still still seem to trust them. And just a kind of, you know, one tweet from them will be enough for an average reader that's not, um, you know, that's not taking the time to delve into these issues. It's usually enough for them to be okay, this is, a, this is an issue that I can ignore now. Um, so I think that's another vital aspect because it's a very new development of, <clears throat> of propaganda that's you know, not really been seen before, um, before Syria. Um, so Yeah, well I mean, look,
0: Tar, let me just explain for people who aren't familiar with Bellingcat because it's very important. Bellingcat is an organization of so-called citizen journalists uh, using open source data uh, that has become very prominent in recent years and now they're relied on by the media uh, in uh, In several major stories especially when it comes to stories that accuse Russia or Syria or Syria of nefarious acts like a chemical weapons attack and they've become to be used as a source and even though they their their founder for example uh, Elliot Higgins i I'll read you a quote. Uh, this is from the New York Times, where it you know they acknowledge that they don't even have a scientific background. I'll, I'll, I'll read this to you, uh, Mr. Higgins, What's background? or journalist, or journal, right. But I'll read you a quote from the New York Times, for example, talking about the founder of Bell and Cat, Elliot Higgins. It says quote, this quote: "Mr. Higgins attributed his skill not to any special knowledge of international conflicts or digital data, but to the hours he had spent playing video games, which he said." gave him the idea that any mystery can be cracked," unquote. That's an actual quote from the New York Times, and somehow that's deemed to be a, uh, a boost uh, to them and not uh, shining a light on just how weak their credentials are, the very fact that they're playing video games and citing that as reason why, as how they've honed their craft. And what is also concealed uh, in how the mainstream media cites Bellingcat is that Bellingcat receives funding from the National Endowment for Democracy which is a U.S. government uh, body and has been used to advance regime change goals around the world. Elliot Higgins himself is a a fellow at the Atlantic Council, which is funded by all sorts of governments, including the U.S., Britain, and members of NATO and the uh, Gulf states. And yet they're uh, used and cited often as experts. And what's interesting about this OPCW scandal is there has been a lot of concern that in fact the OPCW, in ignoring its own scientists and sidelining them, that they relied on Bellingcat. and Because a lot of the findings that were in uh, some final OPCW reports have mirrored Bellingcats. And there's a reference in uh, the suppressed engineering report, the one that the public was not meant to see. We can talk more about that. But this engineering expert at the OPCW uh, the the one where which concludes that actually he thinks that most likely the gas cylinders found at the scene in Duma were manually placed and not dropped from the air. But that, that expert, his report, refers to, quote, supposed experts who the OPCW consulted. And that has been their speculation that those supposed experts that this actual expert is referring to is Belencat.
1: Right. And I guess that would mirror a similar trend that we saw with MH17, which, um, you know, um, I can't remember the, the US official that said so, but I think um, if you um, look on my Twitter, there's an article recently from kind of describing the history of Bellingcat, but US officials directly kind of almost thank Bellingcat for their investigative work um, in determining their results. So I think it's it's um, it's part of this very kind of nefarious strategy of saying, you know, it's almost you know you're praising Bellingcat, and then you will accept that they're accepting their results unquestioningly, and then people who, uh, you know, differ from that narrative, um, you know, get silenced, a, and that's why we have this situation that we have at the moment, where you know genuine scientists with no real political interest um you know i've i've talked i've talked to some people in this industry when i was pre uh, researching previous articles um you know most of them aren't really political they're they're engineers or so on and they're just and they you know they they understand the gravitas of their job um, they understand you know that their job isn't to be political it's to you know just do their best job they can as scientists and then let the dust falls where where it does afterwards. So and I think that's why it's such an important story is well because it's, it's so dangerous to to politicize a body that, like this. Um, you know, these bodies were put in place for very, very important reasons um, and to avoid, you know, devastating um, attacks against human beings that shouldn't be kind of going on in this in this day and age. And if we start to politicize them and we undermine their authority, then um, it's very dangerous, I think. And that should go without saying.
0: And since, since, since you referred to it, just let me explain uh, what MH17 is. For anybody who doesn't know, that is the downing of Malaysia Airlines Flight uh, 17 that occurred in the summer of 2014. And Bellingcat was among the groups that accused uh, or pointed the finger at Russian-backed separatists in Ukraine uh, as having carried out that attack. But of course, that conclusion of Bell and Katz, like many others, has come under question. But talk, tell us more about your struggles internally at Newsweek um, and you know your efforts to try to resolve whatever objections you faced in trying to cover this story about the OPCW scandal in Syria.
1: Sure, um, so, kind of it started off no different than any other news story that I would pitch um uh we have a messaging system called slack which I think a lot of people are familiar with but um yeah first I raised it with uh, one of my editors Alfred Joyner um and you know he's he didn't seem to be particularly opposed to the story but you know he's not um he doesn't have particular expertise in foreign affairs or anything like that so it was automatically um I was told to write a note to him in and um, Demi Ryder, which is our foreign affairs editor at Newsweek, um, you know, I sent a long, longish note with, you know, with links, various documents to support what um, what was going on. Um, interestingly, almost kind of five minutes after I sent the note, I, I kind of wasn't expecting a response immediately. Um, and I was just walking to get a cup of coffee and immediately, you um, you know, I could start to see attempts to kind of not, um, you know, to cast doubt over the story. Um, and it, But it was the kind of stuff that's, it's not addressing the actual facts. It's kind of, oh, you know, the, the publication itself, where these things come from, you know, that's a little bit suspect, even though it was the Mail on Sunday. Um, I understand for political reasons, some people might disapprove of the politics of the Mail on Sunday. Um, they tend to be more right wing. Um, in, the, in the United Kingdom, but, um, you know, journalists trained in the United Kingdom will know that The Mail on Sunday still has very good journalists, and, you know, they exposed the um, 2005 MP's expenses scandal, for example, um, so it's not like they're incapable of doing real journalism. And then I had people have raised doubts about Peter Hitchens, who's the person that wrote The Mail on Sunday piece. Um, and because he's kind of spent the last few years as an opinion columnist. Um, but again, I kind of went to great lengths to try and explain, listen, I understand his his recent history and why he might be controversial to some figures. Um, but he has a very, very long, uh, you know, reporting career. Um, was Washington Bureau and a Moscow Bureau for about 20 years. Um, and, you know, he takes the time in his reporting to, to kind of... Um, to show how everything's been you know, done and verified. And there's been kind of blog posts to the side that have documented how he's met with one of the OPCW scientists in a safe house in Europe. Um, so it was kind of my immediate feeling is that the, the facts of what I was presenting weren't being discussed. It was attacking the sources or who it's coming from. And then when I kept pushing, 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 essentially um it turned into a character attack of me um and that was you know the moment that i was became very kind of upset and essentially decided to resign because um kind of without being over kind of overconfident in my abilities or egotistical or anything of that nature but Throughout my um, reporting career, I've, I've never really had any issues of um, editors not getting on with me or, um, you know, saying that my sources are not very good or anything like that. And that's, even though I understand the piece I've written may be very difficult and long for people to get to get through, I just really wanted to explain that, you know, I have this um, journalism background. I've never had any issues before. It was only when I was starting to raise questions about, you know, things that the... U.S. government essentially wouldn't want answered that I started having these character attacks, um, and it was it did feel pretty much like bullying into, you know, just be quiet, do, you know, do the kind of reporting we want you to do, and don't question, don't question us if we say that you can't run this story, um, and this is kind of it was funny because at the time um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, we had the Firing of a reporter um, who kind of ran this um, story that turned out to be wrong about Donald Trump um, a week before. So she quit because she said Donald Trump was, uh, you know, what's Donald Trump doing on Thanksgiving? He's going to be tweeting, golfing, and more. Turns out he makes a visit to Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, at the time, you know, this was actually happening more at the same time as the OPCW thing. At the time, you know, we we're having lots of team meetings and the editors are saying, you know, understand if you guys are concerned you know please come and talk to us we're always here to have questions you know if you um, if you have questions on a story feel free to question our judgment that kind of, you know those kind of messages and at the same time I was going to the editors I was raising some of my concerns and essentially they refused to speak to me um, you know I made three attempts to speak to Laura Davis the London editor um, and I was getting you know increasingly more stressed because I really wanted I thought it was a very important story and I was getting this this criticism at the time from the editors um, and I really just wanted to talk to her in person um, to share my concerns and, you know, discuss why I thought it was an important story Mm -hmm. and then the next thing I know I receive an email, you know, that's fairly long just listing out criticisms. So that was when I knew it wasn't, um, you know, this wasn't, on rational debate or something wrong with the facts or the facts not matching up it, you know there was an ulterior motive here
0: and so talk to us then about your decision to resign and did you think through what the consequences were of quitting this position and, and whether you how this would impact your ability to find another position in a media industry where obviously jobs are, 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 are already very scarce and hard to find. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, yeah, to be honest, um, if I if I don't find another position in, in journalism because of this, I'm perfectly happy to accept that consequence. I mean, it's not desirable, but there is no way I could have continued in that job um, knowing that I'd have to, you know, I, that I couldn't report something like this. Um, it was actually a very, I remember... Because so I was thinking about resigning for about a week. In that time that I was um, collecting evidence and I was talking, hoping to talk to Laura. Um, and they, but when I received that email that kind of was essentially a character attack, it, the decision became very easy um, because it kind of it clarified everything for me. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't regret it at all. Um, I still don't know where the chips are going to fall essentially from here, but. Um, You know, so far the feedback from everyone's been fantastic. Um, The support from the internet um, has been really great. I'm very thankful to people that have, you know, said kind things to me. And thankfully um, there's been very, very little negative. Um, You know, there's been a few, um, the kind of the usual people that you would expect, the Elliot Higgins and um, what's his name, David Lucas, I think, or something. Um, But, you know, that's that's nothing to me it's um i don't really take what they say seriously um and i don't think other people on the internet should anymore we kind of know who they are and i think um people that's kind of get into these long twisted tirades with them is it's kind of going to be a waste of your time you know what their job is to do um they're not going to change their minds on the internet that's that's not what they're there for um they have a specific purpose i think
0: what to you would be the best outcome of your ordeal here, of what you went through, your choosing to resign, and you choosing to come forward to tell your story?
1: So I think a couple of things. Um, one thing I tried to do is um, keep in mind other journalists when I was writing this. I, I, Even though I'm not aware of any other journalists in a similar position, um, I sh- I'm definitely sure that I can't be the only one. I mean. The amount of evidence that there is at the moment kind of surrounding these OPCW leaks is growing by the day. Um, it's becoming harder and harder for any serious journalist to kind of look at the evidence and, you know, continue with the same thing. Um, so I think one ideal scenario would be that other journalists start to push the issue with their respective organizations. Um, and you know, hopefully we, we do start seeing some coverage even though I'm very critical of Newsweek in the piece that I've written, um, I think what happened to me could have happened to any publication uh, in the West, you know, uh, except a, a, a very few. Um, so I think, yeah, that's one thing. Hopefully other journalists will start to speak up um, more long term. I, I mean, I don't know if this is very naive, but I'd love to see the influence of um, the CFR, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations, have a, you know, that. Journalists say no actually you have a conflict of interest you don't have a, a place in a newsroom you know there is no space for you you have a you know this you can't do your job adequately to hold the government to account that's the journalists you know one of the journalists main priorities if you have this conflict of interest sorry it makes you um, not not applicable to be a journalist um, and then I guess finally just to um, greater public awareness about uh, how propaganda works, um, and it's not just Bellingcat. I think um, I think there's a lot of evidence to say that white helmets as well is is propaganda, um, and that might have been a controversial thing to say a few years ago. But I think now it's you know the, the evidence is there that it's beyond doubt that it's government propaganda, um, and I think people just slowly need to get that you know get more awareness about that out.
0: Well, Tark, I, for one, uh, I'm one of the many who really appreciates what you've done here. Uh, It takes a lot to not just speak out about Syria, which I think is actually brave in itself, given all the smear attacks that one faces. But in your case, you risked your job over it, and you you lost your job over it, and you resigned in a very principled move. And so I, for one, uh, hope that your integrity and your courage will resonate and inspire other media outlets and journalists to display uh, that same uh, integrity and courage that you've shown here. And and I I hope that it will, because this is often how whistleblowing works and how truth-telling works, is it takes one brave person to set a chain in motion. And I really hope that that is what happens here.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, Yeah, um, that's that's all I can hope for, really. Um, you know, I had, um, you know, parents and stuff on the phone and various people that I've worked through with through the years, um, some, with, some of which, are, you know, have experience of these things. And a lot of people kind of actually, you know, told me not to do this. Um, some people worried for my safety. Obviously, my parents were a little bit concerned, um, you know, given that kind of it's not out of the ordinary for, for kind of nefarious Mm -hmm. things to happen in these situations um but you know i think it was it was the important you know it was the right thing to do and i don't have any regrets and hopefully more and more people can start to talk about it um you know i think there are a lot of good journalists out there um the evidence is there it's you know they and i'm sure there's definitely other people that are feeling frustrated so Hopefully, I've given them the template of how they can approach editors and how they can raise stories and how they can push back if, um, you know, if they are kind of, uh, you know, their stories are declined. And hopefully that's a trend.
0: I hope so too. Uh, Tariq Haddad is a journalist, up until recently a reporter at Newsweek. And his website is Tariq Haddad, and we'll link to his piece where he breaks down Uh, his reporting process about this Syria OPCW scandal and what led him to resign from Newsweek. Tarek, thanks very much.
1: Thank you very much for having me.